Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Michelle Hext about helping coaches, experts, and consultants to scale their businesses. Michelle Hext, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It is a pleasure to be with you today. You're joining us from Australia, so it's early in the morning on Friday for you. Uh, I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. It's 1 p.m. for me. Uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule early in the morning to meet with us and share your insights with me and my listeners today. As uh, Today, we're going to be talking about helping coaches, experts, and consultants to scale their businesses. And this is your area of expertise. So I'm super excited to pick your brain and to really unpack that and, and get some good ideas for, for all of the listeners. As we get started, I wanted to share Michelle's bio with everybody. Michelle Hext is the CEO at the Luxpreneur, where over the last 20 years, they have trained over 8,200 coaches, experts, and consultants to scale their businesses through high-ticket offers. She started her career in the martial arts when she was 22 years of age and holds a fifth-degree black belt in Taekwondo, and she is also in the Australian martial arts. Arts Hall of Fame. That's amazing, by the way. She owned martial arts schools and online fitness businesses. Then she had to learn how to get more clients and she did it and then started also teaching it. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me. You have such a wonderful background. It's a pleasure to be with you. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in? Uh, I guess really, you know, the Luxpreneur is my company name. That's what my other companies run underneath. And um, so the, the the brand that I run under is my name, michellehex.com. And I also have um, a coaching institute that I'm launching, which is the High Ticket Coaching Institute. I'm sure we'll get to talk about that at some point. But um, yeah, other than that, that's probably it for now. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. And as we get started, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more? So I'm just, I'm super fascinated by this martial arts background. How did you leverage kind of some of that kind of background and your work in these, um, these schools and fitness businesses into the, the approach that you're taking now with Luxpreneur? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because people always ask me how I got started and it's such a winding road that all began with martial arts really. Uh, I grew up in you know that story of domestic violence and sexual sexual abuse and things like that and I left school quite early. I, I was my, my mother basically told me we're not sending you back to school next year and I was 14 and so by the time I was 16 I'd moved out of home and you know, did a lot of things over that time, Um, worked in hospitality and stuff like that. But I traveled to the US for a few months and got my pilot's license and did a whole bunch of stuff up until I was about 
yeah, 20, 22 when I started Taekwondo and just fell in love with it because of the childhood that I'd had, just the structure of martial arts and just how good you feel about yourself when you honor the commitments that you make to yourself. And there's a, a really natural progression, you know, as you, you progress through the belts, you know, everything in my life was random up until then. So to know that to get from one belt to the next belt, there was a specific syllabus, like nothing was going to change. This was the syllabus to follow. And I knew if I applied myself and really threw myself into it, that I could do what everybody else was doing, which was pass my grading belts. And so for me, that was really, that that made me who I am. Just those, you know, especially those early days um, in martial arts, because they, it just taught me all of that. And so um, I'm, I've always been pretty ambitious though. So at one point um, I had my martial arts school and it was a full-time centre and I was running that. Um, I had my, I owned my first school about 18 months into my training, which is quite unusual, but I graded from my black belt within 12 months. Um, I was very committed. I was, um, I was fighting. I was a competitor. So um, I had that training on top of the traditional training and training with my Korean head instructor and things like that. So I was on a bit of a fast track, but that was because I was applying my every class that was available to me. I was there. It was, yeah, just a really cool time in my life. Um, and so I was always looking at different ways to, to build my business. So we're talking early nineties here. And um, I, just remember personal training became a thing. I had a personal trainer for a little while and I thought, oh, I really want to add this. And so I started adding personal training sessions and group fitness to my martial arts school, which was really great because it, it lent another audience um, to this facility. And then a lot of those people went on to do Taekwondo, which was always my agenda in the first place because the fitness stuff was very martial arts kind of oriented. And then this thing called coaching came along and it was a really early emerging industry. And I went and got myself qualified because I thought this is something that I really feel like I've been doing for many years anyway. I figure if you can, if you can coach somebody to fight somebody else or if you can coach somebody to grade for their black belt, you can coach someone to do anything essentially. And so um, I went and got myself qualified qualified um, through a company called Results Coaching Systems, which isn't around anymore, but David Rock is. Um, he was, that was incredible training. And so I had my training, my coach training in the late 90s, let's say. And at one point where I lived, I had my full-time martial arts school on one side of the road and I had my coaching business offices on the other side of the street. And um, one of the first things that I did when I became a coach was I went to the local paper and I said to them, I want you to give me a column in the paper for 13 weeks. I want to run a coaching based um, series in the in the newspaper. And we'd been in the paper a lot through my martial arts school. So I had a pretty good relationship with them. And they gave me a 13 uh, week column. And so I'd be walking down the street and people would come up to me and they were following the column. They were really loving it. And so um, that really helped grow my business back then. And, um, you know, the early 2000s. Can, can I just say that yeah. that is, a, that is really cool and, and quite amazing. I've always had this kind of you know, back when I was a teenager, part of me thought, oh, I want to be an author. I want to be like a journalist. 
And even as I grew up and I, I, I took a different path, you know, I've always thought, oh, it'd be so cool to have like an op-ed um, column gig, you know, with, with a newspaper. Uh, and you just made it happen. You just go and, and convince them to give you 13 weeks. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. You know, I, you don't know what you don't know, right? And remember, this is before social media. And I used to physically type the pieces of paper and walk them into the office. You know, it was old school. And um, so, yeah, I also had that, actually. I also had the, um, the desire to be a, a reporter, you, you know, a journalist at one point. Anyway, so um, then the early 2000s, this, I, I noticed a couple of online personal trainers in the um, fitness magazines that I was in and contributing to. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And so I created my first online fitness business and it was called glow women's fitness online and then I launched another one um, which was more hardcore and that was called rip it up challenge and at any time I would have something like 200 people going through programs and I just loved the online space but again even back then I leveraged PR so I would go to the paper I submitted I had a bit of a system so for example Tuesdays I would submit articles to all of the major papers and magazines and things like that and then I'd follow up on the Thursday and that was just what I did and I ended up in a lot of um, really highly visible publications I remember getting on an airplane one day and opening up the flight magazine and one of my articles was in there so that was pretty cool I didn't even know they were publishing it and so um, it was always back then in the early days it was just elbow grease you know it was just hustling and and just doing whatever I could to get my name out there um, and I look back now on that young woman and it's, it's the coolest thing you know now we have access to a global market at our fingertips you know what I would have loved and given for those days back then but we just didn't have it um, and so yeah so you, your question your original question was how did the martial arts stuff um you know, come into what I'm doing today. And so martial arts has always been a driver. I've, I've always trained. Um, I've either had schools or I've been a student somewhere. Um, and even if it wasn't in Taekwondo, it was in Mutai where, you know, I travel to Thailand when I can and train there. And so it's just a big part of my life. And one of the things that I did in 2011 was I launched the first and only one of its kind that I know of. It was an adult women's only full-time martial arts center and so again got a lot of press we we're at capacity within six months and I remember I'd been coaching on the side I had been still doing my business coaching and things like that but I remember just looking at this product and thinking I want all martial arts school owners to have this option because in the old days I used to teach like 40 classes a week I would teach kids classes adults classes and all of the rest of it and it was exhausting by the time I got to my classes where I could train you know, I've had hip surgeries and I had prolapse disc and things like that. So I was sore and I couldn't really get the training in. So I'd had a little bit break from owning schools, but in 2011, I went, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm only going to teach adult women. And people were freaking out everywhere. They're like, you can't do that. You're going to miss out on most of the market. And I'm like, I don't care what you've got to say. I'm going to do it my way. I just believe in this thing. And it became this incredible thing. This, these women um, that really needed martial arts in their life suddenly had the ability to come along without the risk of having men, you know, because a lot of these women had been abused or, you know, Muslim women who couldn't train with men and things like that. And so I had this 
incredible community of women that were just so strong mentally and going out and starting businesses, leaving abusive relationships and things like that. And I thought, I want every martial arts school owner to have this experience, not just to teach everybody all the time, because that's just what we've always done, but to choose an area of the market that that they love. So it may have been 40-year-old men. It may have been bullied teenage girls. It could have been like whatever the... The students, you know, when you're an instructor, there are certain students that walk onto the mat and you know, it's like, oh, and if that student's missing for the class, you, you spend the whole life, you spend the whole night wishing they were there because they just elevate the whole room and they make you a better instructor. And I thought, I just want, you know, one more of these students and I want my um, other instructors to have this. So I wrote a book called The Honourable Martial Arts Entrepreneur, where I basically spelled out, this is how we create a niche-based um, boutique martial arts school where we get to charge more, but we get to teach less and we get to teach the exact people that we want to teach. And so that was my first, I guess, foray into the digital marketing space because I created this incredible five-part lead magnet. It was a five-part video series that was like, you know, not everyone was doing it back then. And I had little workbooks and it was incredible content. And I, I launched a, um, a five-month mastermind. I think I charged about 10000 Australian back then for that. Um, and then I created a digital course with the content. I created a, a group coaching program with the content. And I ran that successfully for about 18 months um, where I get to, got to teach that. And then I just had this desire to go out into the rest of the world and remember that the people that I had been serving up until that point had been in martial arts, um, not necessarily as instructors, but the students that came into my place, um, the, the people that came into my online programs, they knew you know, that there was a heavy martial arts base and, and philosophy behind everything that we were doing. And so I just assumed that this was how the population operated. And what I mean by that is if they say they're going to do something, they do it. Um, if they make a commitment, they honour it and they just ha have a lot of integrity, right? And so I thought I would go into the female entrepreneur market. The product that I had was very... Um, it translated very well into any kind of market, really, and service-based market. And so I, I launched a, a mastermind program. It was 12 months. It was $27,500. I had my, you know, my target was to, to enroll eight people in that program. I enrolled seven. And I found myself with a bunch of um, people who were not honouring their commitments, not doing what they were saying they were going to do, blaming me for their lack of results when they weren't actually doing the work. And, you know, I, I would ask them to just really simple things, you know, that they for things like, you know, email marketing and stuff like that. And, and they would spend like three months trying to figure out how to use their CRM. And I'm like, no, 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 you've got to just outsource this thing. And yeah, so it became really stressful for me. And I remember just thinking, I'm not doing that again. I did do it again. <laughs> I did it two more times and, and ran it around the country. That was an in-person mastermind. But I got better at it. And I got better at selecting the right people. And the ones that I ran after that were pretty amazing. And so the female entrepreneur market was great. And I, but again, I go through this evolution where every usually around every three or four years I'm like okay I'm what's next for me I'm I adapt to things pretty quickly and I get bored pretty quickly so I always want to be challenging myself so my energy is really 
into what I'm doing. And so I thought, what's next for me? And I looked back and I looked at the people that I've been working with and I thought to myself, you know, the people that I really love working with the most are the coaches because I understand them. I know how to package them. I know, I know that world. I've been in this world for so long. And so then I just started working in the space of working with coaches. And so what that led me to do is not just work with coaches, but people who wanted to become coaches. So those industry experts who were really good at what they did and people were always asking their advice and they knew that they could turn this into some sort of a business. So that's typically who I work with now. And um, yeah, so I start them from the idea of I want to move into coaching and I this is what I do, but I don't know how to pull it all together. And so I help them come up with their one really shining offer, super high ticket offer, make sure they get good at delivering those results and then we scale from there. So that's what I've been doing since about 2015. Yeah, and I, I just love it. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Well, that's awesome. And really, you just provided a really succinct overview to where I want to take the rest of our conversation. So you, uh, uh, an interesting case study with your own experience, right? And starting businesses and scaling businesses and then working with clients and such. So as we talk the rest of the time about helping coaches, experts, and consultants to scale and to grow, you've already laid out a whole bunch of ideas and tips on like where your focus should be as you're trying to do that. Um, this is a space that I'm in as well. I, I do coaching as well and, and consulting work, um, but I do it as a, a side gig. Uh, I'm a professor at the university, and so that's my full-time gig. And I kind of, you know, I, I like the scholar practitioner world, and I and I like to try to have the two feed each other, and uh, and that's been my approach. But I have to admit, like, you know, I I'm sometimes hesitant to. I don't know, like to, to really claim my value uh, when I'm working with people, right? And I'm not sure what exactly that is. I don't know if it's if it's imposter syndrome or just a lack of confidence, or I just need to believe in, in the value that I'm giving or whatever. I suspect many listening often feel the same way. So what are some of those things you would say to a client that you're coaching, you know, as they're trying to, you know, 
start down this path and try to believe in themselves that, hey, this is something they can actually do. They can turn this into a business. They can make good money um, helping people all at the same time. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is, honestly, that is the first, my first role. You know, when a, when a coach comes to me, I have this saying, and it is confident coaches become successful coaches. And for me, my first job is to build that confidence. And the way that we do that is probably not in a way that you would expect. It's not me saying, you're amazing. You know, you can do anything. It's not that. It's not being the cheerleader. What it is, my job is helping them to figure out what is their sweet spot? Like, what is this this sweet spot? And this is a tricky kind of step because what happens is exactly what you say they, people overlook the sweet spot. They think it's got to be more difficult. They think it's got to be more fancy. They think it's got to be harder than that. But the idea of the sweet spot is it's a thing that you're innately good at. But because we're innately good at it, we tend to question whether there's any worth or value in it because can't anybody do this? Isn't this like, doesn't everybody just know this? And the answer is no. And so the first thing is I help them to figure out what that sweet spot is. Like what, what is... Because for me, the, the, I guess the, the components of a, a high-ticket package that sells are, you know, what is a big promise that you can make and you know you can deliver? And there's this um, kind of cover-your-butt kind of thing go, that goes on in the coaching space where it's like, you know, I can't promise you're going to get results, but, you know, if you work with me, this is what we're going to work around. And it's like, well, why are we not making promises to people? And, you know, whether it's a litigious thing or what, I don't know. But if somebody says to me, okay, I'll give you an example. I had a product. It's a digital course now called the 5K Formula for Coaches. And the tagline is um, create and sell your first $5,000 coaching package in four weeks or less. And 90% of the people do that. Most people sell between two and four packages in that first four weeks, which is incredible. We create it in the first two weeks, the second two weeks, they're selling it. And um, like that, that stood out, one, because it's like, it's the perfect formula, but two, because I'm making a promise. And my promise to them is if you do the work that I ask you to do in the way that I ask you to do it, you'll get a result. I promise you will get a result. And if you don't, get it within four weeks, it might take you five. But if you want it in four weeks, I can show you how to do that. And so going back to that question about if someone's getting started and they're lacking that confidence, what do we do? So the first thing is we look at, okay, what is our sweet spot? Do we feel confident in that? Yes. And then they're still fuzzy around the value, right? Because they don't see the value proposition. So then we're like, okay, so if we were to create a four-week package or a 12-week package or something like that, um, what is like what is an outcome that you want to deliver? So for example, I would have some fitness people that are in the fitness market and I would say, oh, lose 10 kilos in 10 weeks. And I'm like, yeah, really? Is that what they want? And, you know, and so I get them to dig in and dig in and dig in, dig in and figure out, you know, I work with a lot of women um, in the space of, you know, hormones and, and menopause and things like that. And I've been through that. And so it was really helpful to be able to say that they're not worried about the weight. They want to feel like themselves again. They want to feel like, you know, the next part of their life is going to be the best part of their life and things like that. And they're like, oh, it's not lose 10 kilos. And I'm like, no, it's not. So let's figure out because you can't deliver 10 kilos in 10 weeks. You don't know what's going to happen with that person's body. So let's figure out what 
um, what is the outcome that you can deliver? And then let's figure out what, you know, what's the problem you're solving? What is the outcome? Let's make a big promise. And then they get excited about that. And then they're like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. And I'm like, you do know how you're going to do that. Now we're going to unpack it. And then we create the success pathway for the client. So the framework under which they'll operate. And so even if it's a coaching package, um, we want that framework, even though we know that in a co- you know, one-on-one coaching package, things shift, right? You know, people move at different paces and different things come up, but we still want the framework because it looks incredible on a sales page. And it also means that when you go to scale it later on, you have the framework um, that everybody will follow. And then you back that up with live calls or whatever, so that people get what they need. But um, the first thing is definitely figure out what your sweet spot is, claim it, know that you are good at what you do. And if you don't feel like you're good at what you do, have a look at your product. And then you would then have a look at the product and ask yourself, what is it about this that's making me feel less than confident? And it might be one tiny little thing, right? That's that you just feel like this is a little bit out of integrity because I'm not really convinced that this is, I'm really good at this. So remove it, right? Just get rid of it because nobody knows it was meant to be there. So refine it, refine it until you've got something where when you look at that product and you look at the promise you're making, you can say, absolutely, if if people do what I, you know, do it in this way, I know they're going to get a result. Human nature being what it is, you know, there are going to be people that don't get results. And I'd love to say to my clients, you know, I know you're worried that you're, because they'll say, what if I get a client and they don't get a result? And I'm like, well, that's going to happen. <laughs> like it's going to happen a lot. You're going to have a lot of clients that don't get results, but it's not going to be your fault. You know, you've got the framework, you're going to do the work, but you can only do your part. You can't make somebody get a result. So you have to let that go. You have to be prepared that there are going to be some clients that don't get the result. And that's just part of the business. That's just part of the work that we do. That's not going to say that you're not going to do your best and and do a great job, but sometimes people just don't get results. And if you base your ability as a coach on 100% success rate, then you're going to always be a failure in your eyes, you know? So we have to just understand and acknowledge that. Yeah. And you've laid out so many uh, principles, I think, that are really important in my mind, just highlighting a couple, um, you know, know your worth, know your value, uh, do the work to, to actually proactively get yourself out there in front of people. Uh, we have so many limiting thoughts and so many things that keep us from doing, you know, those, those next steps that are going to perpetuate us forward. And so we have to get past that. Um, your, your example, you know, with some of your early businesses and schools and in the newspaper, you know, all of that, I think illustrates, um, that in your own life that, you know, just, just get, get out there and just do it. Um, and, and really cool things can happen. And I, I guess finally, I, I would say, as I'm listening to you, because I'm, I'm wearing two hats right now. I'm a podcast host. We're having a nice conversation. But I'm also, you know, taking in everything you're saying, because, you know, I do this stuff on the side as well. And I, you know, I want to do it successfully and sustainably. And part of that means that making money um, to make it worth my time so that I can continue to help people. And so all of this then uh, for me, just means I need to make sure that I am constantly um, not selling myself short and recognizing the the value that I have in sharing in meaningful ways 
uh, whether that's through social media content that I'm, I'm sharing with people, writing for various outlets, doing things like, like this, like this conversation, this podcast, other, yeah. whatever, whatever it is, go into my sweet spot, find that, perpetuate it and amplify it. And that will breed success. Yeah. And you touched on something then um, about the confidence thing again. And uh, I always just say to my clients, say you're looking, okay. So if, when they came to me, for example, if I was wishy-washy in my confidence, if I was like less than absolutely convicted about the work that I do, because I'm asking them to invest a lot of money. And so how, like, how would they feel about me if I wasn't confident in my product? I wouldn't make the sale because they're relying on me to be confident in what I do. And so it's our responsibility to get to that place where we feel really confident in what we do, because otherwise our clients are going to pick up on that, right? And so our ability to deliver a result for them is the confidence because oftentimes they are lacking confidence and they're looking to us to have the confidence for them. You know, the amount of times that my clients have said to me, you know, I'm just going to borrow your belief right now because I can see you really know that this is going to work for me. So I'm just going to trust you. You know, I, I can see you're confident about it. I'm just going to trust that. And I'm like, yeah, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. This is going to work. And so um, it's really important that we have that confidence 100% for, for them as well, not just for us. And I, I guess one last thing that I want to touch on around that is um, when you are going out into the world, a lot of coaches will say, you know, I just feel really weird about putting myself out there or I feel weird about, you know, selling myself. I'm fine selling other things, but I don't want to sell myself. And that's where having a really rock solid offer works because you're selling the offer, you're selling the outcome. People are responding to you because you're the human selling the thing. But at the end of the day, they want the product, they want the outcome. And so when you're talking, you want to be talking about what they want. You know, you want to be talking about the outcome. And if you can talk about you know, the work that you do and the, you know, result that you provide. Um, and instead of, you know, this is who I am, do it my way. This is my system. If you find yourself saying me, me, me too much, then you know that you're making it about you when it's got to be about them, right? It's got to be about them so that they can make that decision that, yeah, this person is talking about the thing that I'm going through right now and they have the product that I need, you know, and, and that will just help so much. It relieves the pressure of having you feel like it's all about you when it's really not. It's about them and it's about the product that you have. I love that. I love that, Michelle. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule today to meet with me and share your insights with me and my listeners. I note the time and I'm going to have to let you go here in just a minute. But before we close, I want to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get in touch with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so they can get in touch with me via my um, website, which is michellehex.com. Um, that'll link you to my High Ticket Coaching Institute, which launches um, very, very soon. So I'm working now with um, coaches to certify them in the business space. So if they have a high ticket coaching offer and they want to take it from idea to scaled model um, over 12 months, then definitely look at that. Um, I'm also on the Instas. I would love to hear from you over there. I'm at Michelle Hext there as well. Um, and just to finish off, because I want to, I always like to 
um, give people what's on the can, right? And we started the conversation talking about scale. And in a like a minute or less, um, I want you to understand that we can scale when we have the foundations right. So the first thing is get that high ticket, you know, get that high ticket coaching offer nailed, charge what you're worth, feel good about that. And then start to sign up those clients at that higher rate. What you're going to find is you're going to start to get incredible results very, very quickly because people that invest at a higher rate um, are responsible for their own success. They know what they want. It's a very different outcome, very different market. And so very quickly, you're going to find that if you're good at what you do, you're going to be in demand very quickly. So then what I have my clients typically do from there is move this into a group coaching program so that they can take on maybe 10 people at a time, not hundreds, you know, eight to 10 people at a time in a high ticket kind of group environment, like a, an inner circle or a mastermind or some sort of group coaching program. And then we move in, into something like an online academy or a membership program or something like that. And that's like logically how we do it. But the thing that's most important is when you start selling a one-off one-on-one coaching package at that higher level, that is going to give you cash flow to focus on the next thing. The next thing is going to give you still cash flow, but it's going to give you time. And then as you go to grow your leverage product, be prepared for it to take you longer than you ever thought it would take. Be prepared for it to cost you more than you ever thought it would take. It's going to take a few attempts most of the time. I would love to tell you that the people on the internet that are telling you that you just need to follow this formula and then you'll have seven-figure success if you build this funnel doesn't always work like that. So I always want my clients to be funded, to be cashed up. And we do that with the one-on-one. We do that with the group coaching stuff. And you can continue those things for as long as you like, and you can make a lot of money just doing those two things. Put some money away, hone your craft, and then leverage, you know, then create that leveraged offer. But make sure that you've got more money than you think you need, more time than you think you need, and don't drop the ball on the other two because they are going to continue to fund, you know, fund the long-term growth. Wonderful. Thank you, Michelle. It has been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Michelle can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life.
check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.